Well, welcome back. Welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. You know what this is? This um, this is a funny old, a funny old week, a funny old moment because I realised we were just watching the Legends of the Fall, or Legends of the Fall. What is it? Is it the Legend? I think it's Legends of the Fall with Brad Pitt, etc. and so on, and a classic '90s movie. And I was thinking to myself, my God, this could be it. Like this time next week. That lunatic could could still be in charge of the world. Old Donald Trump over there. That's pretty scary. But also, it could be that he, he isn't, and therefore reasons to be hopeful, optimistic. But I don't, I don't know. E- either way, it's it's creepy as hell. That whole idea. That whole idea. But yeah, I I just thought you know what? Here's some. I'm gonna give you a couple of seconds of silence here because you know what that silence is. That silence is where there's no Trump. There's no covid there's no crazy shit just silence just good thoughts here here look, here look on me right on me have a few seconds of silence to think about something positive and lovely here you go how was that was that long enough or was it like 6 seconds although dead air is is a kind of a weird one isn't it because it feels a lot longer than it actually is. I, I, I don't know. I mean, five seconds of, of, of thinking about something good is, is the equivalent to maybe two, two, two solid minutes in, in a dog's life. I don't know. Anyway, I'm rambling. Um, how, I hope you have been well. This, this week's episode is a, is, a, is, a, is a cracker. Got Bob Harris, the one and only Bob Harris on the show for you, which is a, it's a, it's a big one for me because I've known of Bob Harris for a long, long, long time. We touch on it quite heavily uh, about my association with him and it's a very funny story of how I came to know Bob Harris and how he came to know me. We haven't spoken or touched base um, in many years, but I've always felt like, you know, sort of connected to his um, style of, of uh, what do you call it, hosting uh, his, his shows on, on Radio 2 which is where I found him. And I've, I've always been really drawn to that sort of deep personal pre- presenting. And I'll tell you what, you know, the way he puts a show together to this day is so fantastic, so personal. And I, I guess that's what we're kind of lucky with at the moment, six, D, six music DJs or what have you. Uh, you get that sort of personal touch. And Bob is, um, although he's not on six, he could totally fucking, you know, he could sit in there quite happily. Um, he's he's of that he's of that era of that kind of I don't know what you'd call it feeling I suppose and I think for those of you that know who he is it's it an hour is not long enough you'd need five possibly ten hours of, of conversation with Bob all the stories and everything he's been through the highs and lows in his life I I I try to sort of get to to some of them, the highs and lows. I, I think we accomplished some, but like I said, he's had so much uh, water under the bridge in his life. It's, it's kind of it was it was it was hard to get to, to to all of it. But I get we get a really good idea of what he's about and his his a bit of his journey. Um, for those of you who don't know who Bob is, uh, maybe pause and go and Google Google the, the guy. I mean. It's hard to know where to start, really, because I've, I, I, 
without just again making this preamble into like a, a, a half an hour uh, i don't know wikipedia page about bob harris but need, needless to say he's a bloody good bloke put it that way and he's been in music since m- most people were in their i don't know pajamas watching watching the telly with with a a bottle of milk or something given to them by their mums or their dads or something. Um, so old grey whistle test for starters. I mean, you, if you don't know what that is, or, um, go and check out on YouTube. The archives are up up there. Some of them. Uh, I particularly love uh, an interview he did with Tom Petty. He also introduced them at the Roxy, I believe, in um, LA. It's amazing. He's touched. He's touched base with every freaking awesome band artist out there it's extraordinary but anyway uh yeah it's it's going to be good you're going to love it but in the uh in the interim in the meantime i wonder if you've had a chance to to go back and check out a few uh, other conversations if you're tuning in for bob harris maybe you'll want to listen to steve ferroni the drummer from tom petty and the heartbreakers i had him on not so long ago and that was a, a long 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 chat and wow, again, what a journey. You, you like that one. I, that was that was a moment for me, being a massive Heartbreakers fan. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, that that's just to sort of say, if you're new to the show and you want something else, you want to know something, <laughs> something else I've done, there's your, there's your man, I think. I think you'd like that one. But um, yeah, oh God, geez, it's a funny, it's a funny old week. Can't, you know, the, the winter, that's it. The clocks have gone back now. We're all strapped in. Lockdown's coming again. I wonder how that's doing for you. I wonder how your mental health is holding up because I, I, I'm struggling quite badly. I think most of us are. Uh, the, the year just feels like it's falling apart. Um, I know we're really good at keeping our heads above water. I, I think, you know, mo- most of us are. I just feel for the people that really are struggling and can't that I, I can't help but think about people who were doing really well at keeping their shit together, so to speak, prior to COVID and, and then it and then COVID hit and, and it's just the last, you know, the very, I don't know, the, the last nail in the coffin. I don't know. It's just like for me, that's it's not like that for me. I've got so much to look forward to, but you can't help but feel really leveled by this thing and i only say this because we're going into yet another lockdown oh but hey you know we've got we've got fireworks in a, in a few days guy forks so you know we'll be able to look out our windows right with the, those mad mad fucking people that always manage to get fireworks off you know even even when like there's a, a hurricane blowing through the country like gale force winds and driving driving rain there's always someone out there letting fireworks off it's, it's just like okay Anyway, look after yourselves. Um, as always, check out the uh, the website with my short film on, The Name, which is a great bit of, I don't know what you'd call it, kind of like uh, drama, a bit of comedy as well. Um, I think you'll really like it. You can check that film out on the website, somedaysardiamonds.co.uk. Somedaysardiamonds.co.uk. Dot co dot uk and and if you do want to reach out in touch and have a bit of back and forth i'm on instagram the limehouse podcast and twitter at limehouse pod at limehouse pod 
All right, guys, look after yourselves and, I don't know, hang tough, hang tough, because Father Christmas, is he's packing his bags already, he's packing up all the presents for you, for everyone, and I'm sure those presents are going to put a smile on your face, okay? And, if and you know, it, it, come the 25th of December, whenever Christmas is these days, um... If you haven't got anything, just drop me an email. I'll um, I'll I'll, I'll send you something. The Limehouse Podcast at gmail.com. I'll send you something. Could be a used drumstick. It could be a half-eaten, you know, dog biscuit from Rosie, um, the the patron of this podcast. I mean, I don't think you're going to want that. I think personally, it's probably a bit of an insult. But I just thought maybe dog freaks out there—they love anything. Oh dear. I mean, there is a pure example of how COVID's getting to someone. What was I just talking about? Good God. Enjoy the chat with Bob. He's a legend. Oh, yes. there. Goodness me, goodness! I have, I've, I've got just a constant terror of technology and it all going wrong. Well, yes, me you know, too. It's just a constant, <laughs> isn't it? Especially this Zoom age, where you just you can't conduct a, just a normal interview without this this thing in the back of your head of the is the internet going to drop out? You know? Yeah, um, I know. I, one of my cats is. Uh, yeah, I've just disturbed him. He was sitting in the seat, <laughs> and hey, uh, he, cat. he wants to come back on my knee. I think that's very um, cute. Hey Bob, I've banned my dog from this room because sometimes she scratches, and her um, or both of them actually, and their collars make that jingling sound. But I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know, I don't know why I did it. I recorded a podcast the other day with my daughter in the room, and it sounded really great and authentic. So you know, yes, yes. I know. Yeah. Uh, well, I think actually I might put Cobby out because he's going to be distracting. Okay. I can tell you that. <laughs> Come on, Cobby. Cobby. Come on. Come on, Cobby. Come on, then. let's go. I'm going to put you out. Okay. Actually, good boy. Nice. <laughs> um. You've, I've, got, you've got... I've got two cats, and um, I talk to them. They, they're both like dogs. Oh, really? We spend so much time together that um, they know what I'm talking about. I literally <laughs> hold conversations with them. <laughs> <laughs> I um, oh man, I've 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 just uh, finished your autobiography, the um, audio, the audio book, and right. um, and the. Uh, the part about the your the cat, um, sorry, the one that sadly died um, outside Raz. your house, Raz. Yeah. Oh my God! It had me in floods of tears. It completely reminded me of a time when I was um, volunteering at a dog sanctuary in Nepal, and there was this tiny little puppy called Isabel, and it's the only time I've ever seen anything uh, pass away in front of me before, and uh, it was extraordinary. It was just seeing the life go, and but the. I don't know. She was so adorable and so beautiful and she settled my anxiety for like a good few days, but she had distemper 
and um yeah i really i really um i felt something with with that part of the book um yeah you know yeah well i i love cats i, I always have done and um i don't know i just treat them very human-like <laughs> you yeah. know i just think that like all animals they 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 understand the gist of what you're getting at you know the, the, that whole thing of uh Oh, they understand every word I say. Well, of course they don't, but <laughs> they do. They, they do get a gist, and particularly, yeah. um, you know, I've got Colby, and I've also got Minnie, and uh, Minnie is amazingly uh, tuned in to me and what I'm oh. thinking. So, oh, really? yeah, she anticipates what I'm going to do, and uh, <laughs> she's a little cat like uh, like Raz was, oh. um, a little uh, predominantly black with a little white. Uh, spot yeah. here yeah. um and i think those little cats they're very well i mean minnie is so uh, devoted to me it's incredible she she's like my cat dog she follows me everywhere oh, man they they, yeah. they just they, there's something about them isn't there like the, the animals they just really fill a it's not like they fill a hole they ever since i can remember i've always had an incredibly close relationship with dogs um, owing to my grandma, I think it's like the association. I, I I don't know whether that's that's right for right. The same story for everybody, but for me, it's definitely mm. like a, to reconnect and stay connected to my to my past, my youth that was so special with my my grandma and stuff. But I mean, very nice, you know. Yeah, yeah, very nice, very pretty. <laughs> yeah, but, no, um, it is. no, I think animals take. There's they they transcend somehow you go on to a different level with them and yeah. when that happens it's really really special no i quite agree um mm. just before i forget in case the internet does drop out um don't panic um i will just hopefully give it about a minute and it will probably just reconnect what, what we have here in in london bob is um the crappest internet known to man and we're in London. So yeah. I, I want people to know that living in the countryside, it's not just you, okay? <laughs> you know? I've got terrible internet here. I, honestly, I have to tell you, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've just been watching um, Under the Apple Tree. Um, and like, I just, I'm just I'm absolutely falling in love with it. It's, it's an insane series. It's so wonderful. Um, can you just tell me how long you've been doing it for? Because... First of all, I didn't know about it until like two or three days ago. And, and I'm just like absolutely in love with it. Well, it started here almost by accident, um, probably about six years ago, seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, my son, Miles, was doing an internet radio show. He just started it. And um, uh, Christian Bush, it would be, gosh, would it be eight years ago? Anyway, Christian was here. Um, to take part in a, a CMA songwriting uh, meeting. And Christian and I have been good friends for a long time. And he came down to the house to come into the studio and mess around and talk about Sugarland and just a general sort of hangout and catch up. And uh, Miles was doing his radio show. So I said to, to both of them, why don't you go on to the radio show? So Christian came in here, we did a little interview, and crucially, a session. And then we were saying, why don't we do this sort of more regularly? So Mars started, first of all, putting sessions into his radio program, and then putting cameras on the sessions. And that's where the, the sort of regular 
under the apple tree sessions began and the awesome. first one was amy's feast okay uh, and that would have been about six years ago so oh, yeah we've been running around since. i've missed out on this for six years oh god yeah. Oh, never mind. I I tell you what though, um, Beth Beth Chapman, Beth Nielsen Chapman. Oh my word! I've, um, yeah, I I've, know I've, she's. Yeah. Well, Beth is one of our closest friends, and um, yeah, it's lovely. We we were able to. She she's on stand by me, by the way, because the new. Oh yeah, single. yeah. It's um, an amazing. It's amazing. The um the the session area is to my left here. Um, I mean the the studio is kind of long and narrow. So in the, to be comfortable, you have possibly a maximum of four or five musicians down at this yeah. end. At one point, though, we had seven uh, oh in a <laughs> seven-piece <laughs> band. So any, anything yeah. is possible. And Mars has just got an incredible ear. He mixes things brilliantly. And um, yeah. so what, what it's been for us, it's been an open door to new talent uh, and friends of ours who may be passing by. But as, as a platform for sort of emerging artists, that's the idea of it. So the Shires and Ward Thomas and um, uh, Wandering Hearts, Wildwood Kin, Rob Vincent, they've, they've all been done here and played before getting wider recognition. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think that's what I felt so much uh, listening to, uh, re hearing about your life um, the most was just... And and what I think you and I maybe share a little bit in common is with the um, just the new emerging talent thing. Like it's it's something that is so close to my heart because every Wednesday on this podcast I put out a new uh, or talk talk to and interview a new artist, and it's so thrilling because when I was like twenty years old, there's no one doing that. There's no one going right. Here's a platform yeah. for you, and um, what you're doing there is is fantastic. There was a, as a girl as it um, Kerry someone Kerry is a young young girl. Uh, that you had on under under the apple tree, and I can't remember her surname. And I thought, oh, Kerry Watts. Yes, Kerry Watts. Yeah, Unbe unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. talent. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Well, they, we've got over five hundred sessions up there now. Uh, they're on our YouTube channel, uh, yeah. so it's incredible. Or, or you can if you go onto my site. My site links to all the information about all of this. There's a link to yeah. the under the apple tree session. There's a link to uh, Stand by Me. Yeah. and the way to donate and the link to the Stand By Me video. Uh, so, yeah, uh, and my my website is bobharris.org, O-R-G. Yeah. We've yeah. just relaunched it, actually, and okay. um, it's got all the old archive in it again, all my old running orders and, and playlists wow. from uh, even going back to really early Radio One days. Yeah. Are you telling me you've got every single one of your radio like episodes? Like, everything on radio too yes uh, not so, everything before that um but but i'm constantly coming across stuff um uh i'm we did a bit of a kind of um uh, archiving uh thing here last year when i was ill and uh, there are boxes and boxes that we discovered of old running orders old whistle test scripts all sorts of different things so uh alex bramer who's now sort of managing my site. He runs a company called 3B Digital. And uh, Alex, you know, he, he's been listening to me for years. So for him, this is an absolute labor of love yeah. to uncover, help me uncover all this stuff and then publish it on the site. 
So stage by stage, in sort of small stages, the site's getting bigger and bigger. And what you see up there so far is is the result of over a year's worth of quite intensive work to regather the archive and repost it and everything else. It's really amazing. I'm I'm going to spend some time because you know what, Bob. You see, the thing is with, with I've just realised just how much. You, you scratch the surface. I, I was speaking to someone called Ralph Brown, an actor, a really, really lovely guy. And he was, when I got talking to him, it was like, he does other stuff other than acting. And I scratched the surface with him and I'm like, oh my good God, there's a well of stuff. And I always, I've known you for years. In fact, um, when you just, <laughs> you start talking there about um, archiving your sessions, I was actually, um, all your programs, I was, my band actually, you played, used to play my band um quite a bit back in the back in the day back in i, I guess about 20 years ago maybe right 18, 18 years ago yeah um what was i playing quite, so you you were playing a band called the diy cravings yes and yeah and it was a, a song called this town that's right and, i love that record and, yeah. and, and didn't we meet at uh, guildford at the guildford oh, festival my- your memory is is very good. Oh my god, yes, <laughs> we did, and it was. And you absolutely... gave me a copy of it. Yeah, yeah, that's it, where it I was played in... it from. Yeah, it was insane, Bob, because it it was the weirdest blag of my life, and I was naughty. I won't lie. I pretended to be the manager of Coldplay, right? Being me, very cheeky, twenty something year old, twenty two, I think, and I phoned up the. Sh- I think I emailed the show saying, hey, Coldplay are listening in or something, pretending to be the manager. Anyway, and then your producer gave me your email thinking that I was the manager of Coldplay. So I went, okay. And then I panicked thinking, oh my God, what am I doing? So I said, <laughs> um, well, uh, we're looking for some tour support with Coldplay. Have you heard of this band called the DIY Cravings? And as lovely as you are, you were like, no, but I'd love to hear some. Any God, it was absolutely the most random blag I've ever done in my so, life. So I, I was hoodwinked into all of this then. You were hoodwinked, Bob, by a naughty, naughty scallywag. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, but, that's you know, so funny. It's mad. I'm glad. I'm glad so you're then, laughing. So, okay, but so we, we, so we were at the then the Guildford Festival. Yeah. So how did you introduce yourself to me at the Guildford Festival? What did you say? I, I'm the guy who emailed you, pretending to be. <laughs> <laughs> so no we we actually had a really tight relate well not tight but we had a relationship for about i don't know about a year maybe six months to a year i'm guessing um and it was hilarious because we we were back and forth we became pretty pretty close you you played this town i sent it into you and you played it a good two or three times maybe more mm-hmm. and this was whilst I was like pot washing at my local pub and they would go, Oh my God, Will's on the radio. Bob Harris is playing this town. Oh my God. And the whole pub was listening. It was absolutely insane. But then sadly I lost, I lost my dad age 22 and, and I believe you lost your father in exactly the same year. And we were hanging out at at Guildfest backstage talking Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. And then you just said, do you want to, do you want to come and do an interview with me? And I was like, uh, okay and i was so drunk bob oh my god (laughs) i was so drunk and you were adorable you just sat there in this mobile studio interviewing me and i couldn't i couldn't believe it it was absolutely and you know when you played it out on radio 2 like a week later my dad almost like he was almost 
angry with how impressed he was. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I can't. My dad can't have been dead, but I think he. Maybe it was a year. I can't. I've got my all my times chronologically mixed up here. Or maybe, maybe he just. I don't know. Maybe he, you played it know. and he heard it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. That, so thank you for that, Bob. It's been twenty years, but I'm saying thank you now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great, isn't it? That's great. I, I really like this memory. It's good. Yeah, it was totally insane. It's fantastic. But you, you know, I used to like pot wash and stuff in that in that pub, and used to listen to the most amazing music. You used to play like Cosmic Rough Riders and stuff, and then whack in some Steve Earls and Tom Petty. Oh mm. my God, those were, mm. those were the days. Um, but yeah, it would it, be cool to talk about where you first started out because um, I, I guess you know for the people that don't really know um all that much about you and what have you that aren't sort of as geeky as me you you know you started out a, a, a pretty long time ago in the sunny 60s right yeah i moved to london in 1966 oh wow what a year oh it was so brilliant in london that time yeah. uh, my son dylan who's now 26 uh says to me that he would when they invite in, invent time travel he's convinced that they will eventually in, invent time travel he okay. wants to travel back to 1966 to join me there and oh. uh, that'd be amazing because london was so vibrant and it was just such an incredible time uh, yeah. to arrive in in the city so do you have like a real sense of what it was like back then in the in the because you know people go oh, like, i was walking down um denmark street the other day looking at the guitars and and you know hippie movement in the sixties what have you but was it is it can you feel still feel that like the the, the grip yeah, of the sixties yeah absolutely well we were coming out of the terribly austere time of the sort of fifties post war it was like um, black and white monochrome just burst into color um, the Beatles were the apex of so much of it you know the fifties overspilled into the sixties for a while but. The Beatles and the music that was happening in Britain, the fashion, the film, um, the counterculture, as it was called, was just just arriving, was splashing into London's culture. And I was there just as all this was happening. I moved into a house in um, Hampstead and Hampstead Gardens with a whole load of artists and photographers and musicians and people. And, you know, I'd just somehow parachuted down into this incredibly creative community. The the yeah. thing that bind it bound everybody together at the time was this amazing optimism. People were very optimistic. We all felt that we were there was a dream here that we were all beginning to realise that we could be ourselves. We could make great art or whatever it is, and um, that we'd have the support and love to be able to do that so and that's certainly what happened to me because um i eventually got to meet john peel john became such a huge uh mentor figure in my life um i met him at the same time that i met mark bolan we we're all part of a a scene you know i i was heading through to radio i wanted to be on the radio john helped me arrive at, at radio one you know, we were going to gigs together, seeing amazing bands in great little venues that were cropping up everywhere. And um, then I found myself on, on Radio 1. But it, 
it all took like about four years to get there. But A, at no point did I think it wasn't going to happen um, because B, there was a lot of support from people around me to help make it happen. And that's what the 60s were like. We seemed to be all supporting each other in this new, uh, you know, culture that we were all part of. It was fabulous. Yeah. You know, you know that there's a... Um... I can relate to that slightly because when I when I was in bands in the early noughties, it was definitely there was a big swing towards guitar music again. Like I mean, obviously, yes, Britpop, there was, yeah. But but when Britpop stopped, you know, then then this rock and roll revolution started up again with bands like the Libertines. But before the Libertines were really big, you know, and and it was really exciting. Um, I and yeah, there was kind of like an there was there was a definitely something in the air like you could do it, something could happen. But yeah, I mean, where we are now, I I think it's just it's desperation, isn't it? It's really, we're in a pretty desperate It really place. is. Well, I mean, the more you think about where we are now, the worse it gets, really. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I, I'm a very optimistic person by nature, but I just, right now is a really, you know, I think one of the aspects of happiness um, is when you've got something to look forward to. And mm. what coronavirus is stripping us all of is that, magic thing to look forward to mm. you know that we know we're going to be going to that gig a week on saturday or we know we're yeah. going to be able to take a holiday in november or whatever it is you know but there's so much uncertainty now and none of us know anything about anything you know i mean i say this to my cats i don't know about anything anymore you know <laughs> who would have ever thought but i had a coming... set up this sorry year. go on sorry go on yeah I, I had a tour set up this year because um, that's been postponed to next year. And, you know, the studio is normally literally bursting with activity most of the days of the week. And um, I've been here more or less on my own for the last few months because the, the people that this studio, in a sense, is designed to support um, can't, can't come down here. We can't record sessions with them. They can't get out on the road. They can't play. Uh, you know, some of the, the UK music community right now, the grassroots music community is in a terrible state. Yeah. And that's why we've made Stand By Me, because we wanted to try and do something to help, basically. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk a bit about that then, because, I mean, obviously we talk about kind of like the rough the foundation of where it's coming from. But obviously your, your fa well, obviously people won't know, but your favourite record track of all time is Stand By Me, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Be Benny King. But, um, yeah, here we go, look. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, there it is. There it That's is. The, the seven inch. Yeah, oh and God, it's, original, it's a sign, signed by Ben. Signed both sides of it. Look. Oh, my God. In, in fact, we're, we're having this a, a, a brilliant artist called uh, Morgan Powell, who's been a friend of mine for a long time now, and he is known as Super Size Art. And he recreates old singles like this, but massive great giant versions of them yeah. 3d versions they're huge things and they're they're an absolute you know crease by crease reproduction of the original wow. and he's making one of these of, of stand by me one of the big ones uh and when the single comes out uh we're going to be auctioning this off i'm hoping it's going to raise an absolute fortune because oh, you know it's such a beautiful thing and he's he's captured the um uh, uh the signatures and everything and we had it's interesting we had a bit of a dilemma because okay here's the front of, of the cover 
and, and crucially it's got that little tear just there it's got my yeah. my writing on it um and there's the signature there now yeah. you turn it over and the signature is here and aesthetically this one looks better than that one so <laughs> yeah. did we there was a decision shall we put that there on the front cover or should we keep it completely true to the original and leave it like this and eventually we decided to leave it like this so you've got to keep it real what, man yeah 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 <laughs> there was a temptation because the one on the back also he signed it to me um whereas the one on the front it's just a best wishes betty king so uh, wow. and look I, i've even got um him and me that, together oh god yeah that's brilliant yeah oh in uh, that was at a, a, a bfbs british forces broadcasting service um yeah when I was doing programs there in the early 1990s and uh, Benny King came in for a chat. I was so thrilled to meet him. Well, yeah, I, I'd met him once before, actually. I, I met him in Great Yarmouth uh, uh, yeah. in, the, in the mid-80s when the Drifters were doing a greatest hits tour. Yeah. And I was in the audience and that's where I got this signed, actually, because I went backstage to meet him. Um, and it was such a thrill because it was the Drifters were doing a sort of uh, sing along a drifters medley of their hits kind of thing yeah, and so right, yeah. we're all in one tempo and they're all doing these routines and uh, suddenly it went do you know in, in tune with everything else much faster than the original but he stepped forward before he sang the opening uh, line he stepped forward and he said um uh, uh, there's a friend of mine in the audience tonight bob this is for you <laughs> and, and then it into Stand By Me. It was a brilliant yeah. moment, obviously. Yeah, yeah. No, of course. It's, it's, it's magical. I think some of the moments you describe in your audio book are absolutely wonderful. Audio book. In your book are amazing, particularly the one with Peter Green, because I had a, a similar experience with Peter Green myself. I blagged it. Oh, here, the, the common theme here is, is me blagging shit. But fine, that's what I do. Um, but I was backstage at a beautiful festival called Bishopstock down in... Um, oh, yes. God, oh my God, did you ever go? Yes, I oh, did. I unbelievable think. lineups. Yeah, absolutely. Who yeah. was there then the year you went? God, well, I went two years running, but it was, there was like Gary Moore and Johnny Winters. Johnny Winters had a uh, a stroke the night the night before. So they, they, wheeled, they, they brought him out on stage just to wave to the audience, but they basically pulled together like... Um, an, a, 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 I don't know, a super group of musicians to make up for his headline slot that he couldn't fulfill. But you had like Steve Earle one year, Johnny Lang one year. Um, yes, yes, yes. Johnny Lang was so good. Really oh, great. God. He was, there were two guitarists that, that came up both at the, pretty much the same time, both in their early teens and both were fabulous. Johnny Lang was one and Kenny Wayne Shepherd was the other. Oh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd's unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I mean, those for me, well, I was massively into Stevie Ray Vaughan at the time, like I think about, about 18 years old. And I spent about two years just deep diving into Austin blues, you know, and uh, that, mm -hmm. that whole Texas blues scene. But um, that, that, that festival was unbelievable. Yeah, but Peter Green was on stage. I blagged it and just stood on the side of the stage and watched him play. And he looked over at me and started smiling at me. And I thought, what the hell's going on? Like, I started looking around me and there was literally no one a, a, around me. He's just staring at me and smiling. I was like, great. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's Peter Green. He's just 
playing a, a guitar solo. He's smiling at me. But you had a wonderful moment with him, didn't you? I, or you, you reflect yeah, on the we were, solo. Yes, I, I, um, I went to see him play. Gosh, I'm trying to... Now, this is stretching my memory a little bit. Um, I went to see him play, and we spent time with each other backstage. Yeah. Uh, because I was around... In fact, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac were one of those bands that were playing around London in all those venues in the late 60s. Mm. You know, seeing them at places like Kluke's Cleek in West Hampstead or the Marquee Club or the Country Club in Hampstead. There were, you know, there were these certain venues around town. In fact, West Hampstead, where I used to live for a while, was was a really great sort of centre because the, the, the railway in... Um, uh, uh, in West Hampstead, right next to the underground station. And then just around the corner and down the road from there was uh, one of the Decca London recording studios where the Moody Blues, uh, DRAM, the DRAM label at the time was based there. So the Moody Blues recorded there. Um, I think Proko Haram recorded there. And so it was it was a little scene around Hampstead, West Hampstead at the time. Yeah, so... Oh, but Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac were a really powerful group. They were fantastic. It's amazing, you know, how they morphed into the. I, I mean, I, I love. No, no, don't miss them. I, I love Fleetwood Mac and I love Rumours. I think they're fantastic records. I love Tango in the Night. Yeah, so me they, too. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I love that one. So I don't, I'm not saying that in a bad way, but no, they no, changed but completely totally from different. that movement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that I mean, you. I I can't. My dad. I was so lucky. My dad played me. Oh well, I I could not believe that song. Like that went on a mixtape. That was on a, a mix CD mixtape. Whatever. From the first moment I heard it, that and Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin. I that just turned the tide for me. Um, and just to think when those were written, and also the production on Oh Well, it's it's, it's sensational. It sounds so advanced. I love it so so. Well, the, the the thing about those Fleetwood Mac records at that time. You know, uh, Green Man Alishi, Oh Well, uh, Black Magic Woman, um, even, the, you know, the, the Elmore James style stuff on the first album as well. The, the word that, that applies to them is confidence. The band just sounded so confident. They just knew what they were doing. Um, and I love that about those records. I think they, they've just got an edge and a, and a drive to them. Yeah, damn straight, absolutely. Uh, that's so funny because I almost forgot about "Shake Your Money Maker." Like that, 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 whatever Peter's doing in his voice or whatever's happening is like "Shake Your Money Maker." I can't, you know, when you're young and you're so open to so much that you, you're like a sponge, right? And I, yeah, oh my god, that influenced me so so much. I mean, I was. But very much when I was younger, I was just all about my mum and dad's vinyl collection. It wasn't massive by any means, but it was always all the classics, you know. And I think out of all the classics, I probably only listened to about 10 on repeat, you know, just so obsessed with them. Like what what were the ones that when you were growing up that you became obsessed with, like that, that really taught you, not taught you, but just really influenced you? Well, because when I first started buying records, it was singles um, yeah. and rock and roll singles for that so my early record collection is is still among my favorites Elvis, buddy polly um duane eddie the everly brothers i mean it's so interesting that in those days you know the two feed lines into rock and roll basically was black r&b and blues 
So Pat Domino and Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and uh, Little Richard, all bringing black music into rock and roll. And then on the other hand, you've got um, Buddy Holly, the Everly Brothers, Duane Eddy, uh, Ricky Nelson, Jerry Lee Lewis. You know, they, a lot of those artists were coming from country. Mm. Um, the person who had their foot in both camps was Elvis because he had that black R&B thing to him, but he also had country because he was a, you know, a Southern boy. Right. And in fact, that first single ever of his, That's All Right, backed with Blue Moon of Kentucky, is the instant demonstration of this because Blue Moon of Kentucky was a bluegrass song by Bill Monroe, and That's All Right was a blues song by Arthur Big Boy Crudup. So you got on that first single, you got blues on one side and country with bluegrass on the other. And so those were the two feed lines into rock and roll. So those were the records that I was buying in like 58, 59. What an education though, don't you think? Like what an education yeah. to have one single sum, sum up everything that should be right about music, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, I suppose that you could say that about the first Elvis record. Yeah, you could. You could. Yeah. But it was such a, I mean, so I was, I was bowled over by American culture. I loved rock and roll and that's it. It just set me on on my journey to where I am now. <laughs> do, do you know what though? I can, I can tell you the first time I heard Blue Suede Shoes and I, I, it stopped me. It was a New Year's Eve party and I must have been, oh, I don't know how old I was. I was very young and I was listening to this far-fetched, this is how much I love radio. I used to phone in radios all the time. I think you, you, you your mum did that for you or something or, or you or vice versa I can't remember but um I used to find this this I don't know this radio station that was broadcasting in bloody Kent somehow managed to find its way to Surrey and this was when I was a kid and I was, I was phoning up for, for requests and said well we can't play you that but we can play you this and they played us like blue suede shoes um I I nearly lost my shit basically listening to this song for the first time and and that's Elvis, and I, and that mm. would have been how old that track would have been by then. It would have been like forty years old. Can, can you? I know it's a bit of an ask, but can you remember like what that feeling was when you first heard yeah, it for the first? Absolutely, time? no, I, I totally can because that. If you think about it, you know, I'm, I'm in that generation that was hearing that music for the first time. Mm. So when when you heard Blue Suede Shoots or Heartbreak Hotel or Jailhouse Rock or something, you, you were hearing those records for the first time uh, and the impact of them at the time was just unbelievable. They, it, it, certainly they were, those records were stirring something in the generation, that generation uh, that, that, you know, it was the first time teenagers had been regarded as a generation other yeah. than before that, they were just young adults. Now teenagers were, had got their own music. They're establishing their own fashion. And then you move into the 60s, and can you imagine hearing Beatle records off the radio for the first time, the anticipation of building up to know that I Want to Hold Your Hand is coming out next week, and you haven't heard it yet, and, and you're listening to the radio 
to hear it and then you hear it for the first time and oh it's an incredible God. feeling yeah yeah i've never i've never heard it described like that before actually i've never heard it put into that context like knowing that a Be- beatles the beatles are about to drop um to use a modern parlance um to 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 drop a, an unbearably amazing song i mean it's almost unbearable that's how good those yeah. songs were it's all you know like well the beatles used to release a single every 13 weeks it was a brian epstein <laughs> Thing, that that's what they yeah. did so every 13 weeks there'd be a new Beatles single and if you think about it you know there was From Me To You which was it was a, a, a sweet record and um, uh, well I beg your pardon Love Me Do was a quite sweet record got into the top 20 uh, then Please Please Me which still had the harmonica that was pretty good then From Me To You which was you know well we're really wow this band is sounding great and then came She Loves You. And you think, right, that's this is the biggest record I've ever heard. It right. sounded huge, you know, it slammed in at number one. It absolutely um, turned the Beatles from being a big hit-making group to superstars. And then, so you think, well, nothing can top that. And then they put out I Want to Hold Your Hand. And you just think, how... <laughs> How What's could that happening? be? That, 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 you know, is those two <laughs> records, She Loves You and I Want to Hold Your Hand, coming one after the other, the way they did, it was just one of the most, you know, it was such an incredible moment. Meanwhile, they haven't broken in America yet. Everything's building up like behind a, a sluice gate. Um, and so they go over to America and then they appear on the Ed Sullivan show and all these records that had been released in Britain that had already been it's here, came out on a big label at last, Capitol Records in America. And the, the sluice gate just came up like this. And the Beatles music just went <laughs> through it. And, you know, even now, I talk to young musicians whose parents or grandparents, actually, in some cases now, say that, that seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show changed their lives, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, ninth of February, right? Ninth of February, nineteen sixty-four or something. No, not yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. I'd, yeah, yeah. And I just, I mean, that is that is is because I'm a well. You can see the Tom Petty behind me, right? Um, and uh, vinyl cover, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of of Petty, but he's in awe of Elvis and the Beatles. It was, it was land. It was that was it, wasn't it? It was like ground zero of music was that ed sullivan uh, yeah it was it was right? and then what happened after that you know was well everything seemed to happen after that it was it was the era of the british bands we were dominating the airwaves everywhere now and mm. um you know the, the the america was struggling to keep up with us but then <laughs> you began to get that jingle jangle sound that came from the birds and uh, you know america was becoming more literary as well with bob dylan some of the other songwriters that were coming out. But then we had a, a, a big sort of folk boom in Britain, in London in the mid-1960s, and then mm. all the psychedelia. And Sgt. Pepper, again, was a game changer because then that introduced the idea of the album as being the art form uh, that it became. And so, yeah, it was... <laughs> the it's 60s so were a great time to be... I mean, I know it can kind of boring, you know, if you weren't there, it's like sharing holiday snaps no uh, what no way not at all we cannot archive this stuff enough like it, has, <laughs> it cannot it's impossible 
to not talk about it you, you have to i mean like there's, and there's stuff that people don't even ever talk about ever it's like ready steady go the history of that show is fascinating to me i, I watched it is, like a, yeah. a documentary on itv2 at like one o'clock in the morning ages and ages ago and i was like uh i'm thick i literally didn't know anything about, i knew that it existed i just didn't know anything about how rene how much of a renegade of a show it was and that how incredibly yeah. it was yeah you know? i loved ready steady go but there was a, even before that there was a great tv show called oh boy okay uh, which i also thought was fantastic it was uh, produced by a crazy guy called jack good who um you know just he loved rock and roll and he just thought that the whole spirit of rock and roll was this thing of you let it loose so he uh, I can't remember what theatre it was. He filmed uh, Oh Boy at the theatre in London. Very, very bright lights on, because it was black and white, you know, obviously there, there was no colour on UK television yet. So it's black and white. So he shone very bright light onto uh, the, the stars of the show who were Cliff Richard, Marty Wilde, uh, Tommy Steele, Vince, God. you know, the, um, and, and American touring people like, Gene Vincent or Eddie Cochran or, oh you know, my God, Eddie but, Cochran. but, but the thing, the whole thing about it was that he didn't in any way try and contain the excitement that was happening with rock and roll at that point. In fact, quite the opposite. He, he encouraged it to just go crazy. So you look at the audiences there and you look at, uh, you just feel the vibe of this program. Yeah. And uh, it is slightly unhinged in some ways, but it was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And well, you know, Cliff, yeah. Cliff there in, in a in, with black and white. So Cliff is wearing a white jacket with a black shirt and a white tie, and you know, so handsome, was... unbelievably <laughs> handsome. My God, yeah. I mean, God, I, I, yeah, I, I loved, I loved Cliff Richard when I was a kid, big time. Absolutely loved him. And then I'm I sure to... I, I haven't looked, but I'm sure Oh Boy would be on, on YouTube. I'll have a look, but I mean, like, yeah. the, um because oh boys, do you think that came from the lyric from Rave On by Buddy Holly? Possibly, yeah. yeah there there were one or two. There was six five special was the sort of first TV music show, and there, there was oh boy and uh, boy meets girls and and one or two others. But uh, of all of them, oh boy was the, the 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 one that kind of. So you know, my in my head, I always go um, uh, six five special. Oh boy, ready, study, go whistle test yeah. um well, the tube jewels yeah, the tube. i think that's the that's the line yeah so that's you helped me out massively with a segue there bob because i, I want to talk old, old gray whistle test not i mean it's literally impossible to talk about it for it without we'd, we'd need 15 hours um or possibly more um but there, there's a very selfish reason that i want to talk about old gray whistle test and that's because of petty like tom petty um and whether or not you can I'm I'm kind of doing a little bit of a um a loving with Tom Tom Petty. I'm I'm speaking to a couple of um, authors of you know Warren Zanes and um, Paul Zollo, a couple of people who have have had uh, a lot of dealings with him um, because I love him so much. But can you remember that when he came on the show and what he was like and and what have you? Yeah, I, I well the first time that we met him was in L.A because we'd been invited to see his show at the Whiskey of Go-Go, um, because Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were basically doing a showcase. Uh, they were just about to release the first album. It was around that time. 
It's either just out or was coming out. And they did a, a show at the Whiskey that they just invited media to and a lot of other people as well. It was a real taste-making gig and we filmed it. And uh, I did an interview with Tom backstage. Have you got the big DVD set? I've what the, the Running Down a Dream documentary? Or... Yeah, it's yeah, the one. Yeah. It's, it's about, I don't know how many hours it is. Four, it's four hours. Yes. Worth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the interview should be on that or some of it yeah. anyway. Yeah, it is. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like I just, I just want, I, I kind of like want you to basically get Dylan and you to build me a time machine. So yes, yes, you know, um, yeah. It was, and I mean, I couldn't believe it because the band also asked me to introduce him on stage. So I went out onto the stage at the Whiskey at Go Go and introduced Tom Betty and the Heartbreakers, pretty much before <laughs> almost anybody had ever heard of them. And uh, it was so funny because a friend of mine. Uh, radio producer um, who I met later, I didn't know them, uh, but a guy called Phil Ward Large. Well, the first time he met, he said, By the way, you know that time that you were introducing Tom Petty at the Whiskey of Go Go? Yeah. He said, I, I was in the audience. I said, well, What are you? I said, oh What an God. extraordinary coincidence. Yeah. God, but it was great. A- and you just knew they were going to be massive. You just knew it. Um, and there was a moment where I was doing a, um, a piece to camera in front of the Whiskey A Go-Go. And of course, this is Hollywood, Sunset Strip. And you have to have a permit to film on the street there. And uh, we didn't get a permit. You know, the idea was we just quickly set up camera and a light. And basically, I do a quick piece to camera saying, I'm standing in front of the Whiskey A Go-Go. I'm just about to go into interview Tom Petty. You know, I'm going to see Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So, but in the time it took us to set up and me to do that link, uh, the police had been alerted. And I, I don't know whether it's still on the DVD, it used to be, where because there, there was a sort of rough cut of this, where you saw the noses of two of the four police cars that zeroed in on us uh, oh just before God. the camera cut. Um, and yeah, I mean, we-, we <laughs> Man, they were <laughs> waiting for you, Bob. They're, they're <laughs> waiting for you, there's no way cops get to a scene that quickly they were waiting for bob harris and his camera let me tell you <laughs> God, so uh, yeah it was it was really an amazing whole amazing experience and then the band came over to to play here uh, yeah. and appeared on the show by which time now american girl had been a hit and oh. the you know the first album had done really really well but yeah. so that was 77 Yep. And then the following year, 78, we did exactly the same with the cars because uh, the cars were playing at the Roxy. It was absolutely identical. So we, we were invited to their showcase and we filmed them and sort of brought the cars back to the UK with us. Yeah. God, was that, was that when they were doing just what, you, just what I needed? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I thought they were terrific. Yeah. One of the things about them was, and they traded on the fact that um, the bass player, who's now I can't, Oh, gosh. Um, he passed away. To, uh, ben, uh, not... Anyway, he 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 looked a bit like... Um, uh, I'm trying to think. They were very glamorous. And one of the guys in the band played guitar on the, that way around and looked a bit like Paul McCartney. And okay, there was... Yeah. They, they had something about them. Rick Ockersek was quite... Uh, really arty, slightly... Um, eccentric and yeah 
Yeah, but that song, man, what just what I needed. That is just like that and my Sharona. I think one of the basically one of the most incredible songs ever written. Like I don't know whether that that's obviously an overstatement of that genre, perhaps of that era. But was, just oh, I just have to tell you the story because um, okay, so so Tom Petty was seventy seven. The Cars were 78, 79. One of the bands that we backed in the summer of 79 was, um, uh, uh, um, oh God, who, who did my show? No, the Knack. The, the Knack. Knack. Yeah, The Knack, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we, we joined up with The Knack on their tour um, when my show was at number one. And we traveled down from St. Petersburg in Florida towards Miami, where they were doing the next gig. Uh, we were stopping off en route, but we just joined the tour bus for about three hours to film an interview with them. Um, and uh, so I'm sitting with the lead singer in the tour bus. And because it's it's so hot outside, it's in the 90s in America, and we've got a light going in the uh, tour bus, and we were absolutely sweltering. I mean, we trying to sort of wipe the sweat off ourselves, try and do the interview. It was, and, and he leant forward and looked at me like this. He said, is it hot in here or is it my career? <laughs> that was so funny. There he was at number one. Is it hot oh, in here or is it my career? Yeah. Possibly one of the biggest one hit wonders of all time. I say one hit yeah. wonder. I I maybe I'm being a bit ignorant there, but like what an unreal song. I mean yeah. it 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 can go any any night of any club night ever. Like I've heard remixes yeah. that are just like unbelievable. But oh my god, what I would have done to have been alive then. My God. But um I I must I must ask you though, because it hasn't like for you, it hasn't always been plain sailing. You um career-wise you know it's it's for me as a kid 20 odd years old listening to you it's even even easy for me to surmise that oh you've had this easy career one step after the other and it's all just worked out marvelously but like it wasn't it wasn't always the case was it because you've you've had to really graft to 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 keep going you know to find a gig to pay rent and stuff Mm. Still the case, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't cracked that one yet. <laughs> uh, but it, no, but it's true. And I mean, even like now, uh, with my tour cancelled this year, at least postponed till next year, with, with Danny, Danny Baker, uh, Danny and I would have been touring this summer, and that was an important tour for me financially, mm. uh, for both of us, really, that... Um, and losing that uh, has been a blow. So, uh, and, but you're right though, I have worked hard all my life. Um, I think that's that's true to say, but I, I'm, I'm so fortunate because I'm doing something I absolutely love. Yeah. You know? and, and anyway, with anybody's career, doesn't matter who it is, it, nobody has a, a career trajectory that just gently gets bigger all the time just it just absolutely doesn't happen Mm. so it doesn't matter who you look at uh they're gonna have big ups and downs if their if their career is to last then you've got to find a way through a time when things are very difficult um and come out the other side of that i mean you know being i was having a lovely time outside of my career i was spending a lot of time in italy and stuff like that but you know being me, being Bob Harris in 1986 or seven, 
was the most unbelievably uncool place to be. <laughs> you know, I was I wasn't getting a lot of work, and um, yeah. but somehow I don't know that I did an interview with um, Mike Oldfield some time ago, and he's got his or had a studio in his garden like I've got here, um, and we went down to the studio. We were just about to start to do the interview, and I noticed there was he had a skylight in his. Um, uh, the ceiling in the corner of the of the building, and uh, I said, "Do you think you should close the skylight?" Because I it looked like it was going to rain, and I was thinking, "Rain's going to pour and get everything soaking wet." So he, he, to start with, he was quite startled, didn't really know what I was talking about. So I said, "The skylight's over there," and he said, "Oh no, I couldn't possibly close that." He said, "That's where the ideas come in." And oh, I just said, "Oh boy." <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. I, I immediately oh, yeah, loved it. Brilliant. Uh, quite seriously, I, I you know, yeah. I mean, I do occasionally university lecturing, and uh, so I'll maybe have a, an audience in front of me of twenty-year-olds, twenty-one-year-olds, and uh, that that that's the age I was when I first moved to London. So in that way, I can sort of connect into their heads, thinking, right, how was I feeling when I was twenty years old, and. Yeah. Um, you know, I would, I, I would say to them, I had this conversation with Mike Oldfield and he said to me, you know, to keep that skylight open. And yeah. if I've tried to do anything in my life, probably that is what I've tried to do, is to yeah. keep the skylight open. So that ideas or opportunities, or whatever, they do come in if you let them. And, and I've always believed in that in a funny sort of way. That well, you're so positive. You are it, such an optimist. Well, it, it sort of looks after you if 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 that skylight's open. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I I struggle myself. I know, I know. I, I mean, particularly at the moment, I think we're all struggling. But I think I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and there are quite a few occasions in 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 your book that I have. I, I broke down myself, had a good cry. Um, just I think mainly because of the shit that kept happening to you. Um, not not because like um, not not out of pity or anything. Just because. You're, I mean, you are a lovely guy. Um, I know that from meeting you and I've known that for, for a while. And I know that from endless people that always go, Bob Harris, nicest guy, blow, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but just how you managed to keep going, you know. And I think one of the, do you know what? This is really funny. One of the hard, hardest parts of the book for me was when the, you had an incident where you were attacked by um, punk, the punks. Uh, these guys surrounded you in a pub and were literally probably going to kill you were it not for like Jethro Tull roadies coming in and rescuing you um, and just how that made you feel like just be you were literally at the height of your game and then suddenly the media everything just turned and you were derided I mean what what was that like well it's like um, okay well I, I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull everything right fast forward this to last year because okay. um i got a i had a very very serious uh illness last year you know i had a um uh, well it, it it's an aortic dissection that's what it's called and and it, it's a tear of the aorta which is basically yeah. the central artery that goes right through the center of the body it's like the m1 and um of the of, of of the body basically yeah. and anything serious happens to that is 
extremely, the implications are very, very, very serious indeed. Um, and I was out walking when it began to happen. I managed to get myself back home and dial 111. Um, and then that was sort of it. The, the ambulance arrived. They spent about an hour in the uh, drive here, saving my life, literally, before they blue-lighted me into the John Radcliffe Hospital, which is oh the nearest God. hospital to here. Now, you know, I was very fortunate to survive that weekend because uh, I went in on the Friday evening. Uh, everybody thought that this was probably going to be terminal. Uh, my All my children gathered around the bed at the hospital and everything. It really was. But crucially... The consultant that was looking after me uh, decided against operating. He just felt that, and, and it was because he knew who I was and knew that any sort of operation could, if it did, if it was successful and there was no necessarily, you know, necessary guarantee that it would be, yeah. but that it could affect my uh, voice box. And he wasn't prepared to take that chance. So he, he, he thought it was, I'd stand a much better chance of a proper recovery if he didn't mess around with me too much and just let me, so that, you know, so, so anyway, I could kind of, so I came through that um, to discover, this is, <laughs> this is last year, okay, in, in the early part of my um, uh, recovery, that the, the prostate cancer that I, had for years um had got bigger in my spine and that that was an issue as well so i was in the middle of all of this last summer and i'm not really quite sure either particularly where this comes from but i kind of reached into a resource that i seem to have within myself uh to survive moments like this it's like you know it it, it is that old it is a cliche i know but uh, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And um, if you, you know, I remember Robert Plant, so when I remember talking to Robert and Robert saying to me, but you've been through all this before. You know, you've been through it once, you can get through it again. And I yeah. thought that's right, actually, I really can. You can overcome, the more things you overcome, the more you learn the skill of overcoming things, if, if, if yeah. that's quite the right way. Yeah. There is a way to over in your head of getting yourself moving on again and setting new targets. I think actually going back to what we were saying earlier about, about COVID and what's happening at the moment, I think that's one of the things that people are most struggling with because you know, once I began to, to improve and start getting better, I began to sort of set myself targets of like coming over here to the studio. Mm. And once I got over here to actually be here for a few minutes, and listen to a couple of tracks or come into the Mac or answer a couple of emails. And then, you know, I started doing a little music project to, to get, to give myself something to look forward to each day, to get yeah. myself over here. Um, and I built up that resilience again and, and a, um, a joy of living and what I'm doing was a, a gradual rebuilding process. Yeah. And now I'm sort of back. <laughs> You know, everything's damped back down. We've, we've got on top of my cancer completely, um, medically managing my um, uh, aorta situation. I yeah. obviously have to self-medicate a lot. Uh, and, yeah. But um, here I am. And I feel it, it's frustrating with COVID because 
I feel like I've sort of got this this kind of last chance in a way, however long that's for, right. to really get out there and do stuff. And I'm frustrated that I'm not able to travel or be you out know on my. What? You are making my day by speaking to me. Apart, well, more than more than my day, well, way more than my day. It's it's fast. It's, it's absolutely fantastic to speak to you. I mean, it's like, you, you know, had you have, have had you packed it in last year. And, you know, everything had gone pear-shaped. We, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's just one element uh, to, to be, you know, and, and, and fuck COVID, frankly. You know, who cares? Yeah. It's just like, yeah. you know, I, obviously we care, but it can't take the better, the better side of us, can it, you know? No, it can't. And, and you know, Stand By Me has, has grown into this very, very beautiful thing that it's mm. become now. You know, the video... The record and the video was so it's my son miles you know he's done all this um yeah. he's done all the mixing and the um it, it's just beautiful you can see that the artists have poured, poured a lot of love into their each Beach of them it. yeah so yeah. um and now we just wanted to raise shed loads of money for everybody you know, because <laughs> people, people can donate via your website right yes they can yeah it, we've got a gofundme campaign and it's all going to go to help musicians um yeah. i'm a, an ambassador for the charity and so yeah. and at this it's moment been... the you know, the music off. community needs this money really badly now so mm. the more we can raise the better really well yeah i mean it's like uh, you, you've really like you've already that that charity is like 100 odd years old and and you're such an in, incredible um patron of it it's, it's amazing the work you're doing but um i know I, you probably have to go now right I do. I'm just looking at the yeah. clock. I really do. Okay. I got it. Yeah. Just before you go, Bob, you did. You played my. You played this town on Radio Two just after my dad passed away, and as a tribute to my dad, and all you said was, "This one's for Will," and it was a, the most beautiful, touching thing. Uh, and I thank you for that. It's very sweet of you to do that for me. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Yeah. No worries. And um, hopefully we'll we'll chat again soon. And and um, you know. You're a, you're a hero and, a, and a, a warrior for all the good people out there, my friend. Well, good luck with all of this, Will. You know, it's <laughs> a, it, it, you must be enjoying this yourself, actually. Yeah, reasonably. Yeah, it's bloody stressful trying to get to get people on the show and, and trying to get it on the ground. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you.